0: Hey, church! Welcome to week two of Equipped, uh, where we are spending eight weeks where we're diving into spiritual warfare. And with me is Ben. He's a firefighter, and so we're talking this week about the belt of truth. And so, in your job and what you do day in and day out, tell me, tell me why facts and truth are important for you to to go fight against fires.
1: Well, information is the livelihood of what we do. It's what we run on. Uh, we start gathering our information from the day that we step into the fire, or for the time we step into the fire station. So we're constantly reviewing the information of what the weather is outside, what the wind direction is, what the temperature is. And then from the moment that a call drops and we start hearing from dispatch to a structure fire, we're gathering the information as far as who's in the house, what time of day it is. And we're dealing with nighttime where we might have people asleep in the house or is it daytime where people may be away from their house. And so a lot of these things are all coming into play once we get to the actual structure that's on fire.
0: So once you kind of begin fighting the fire, is there how do you maintain like, knowing what's happening, communicating back and forth? Because I'm sure that, that situation can be chaotic. How, in the midst of it, are you getting facts and truth to
1: you? We refer to it as organized chaos because we have radios like everybody else. and We put a lot of faith in those radios, but we have a IC, which is our incident command that's on scene, and he has the ability to see the big picture versus us when we're in the inside completing a specific task, I don't have the ability to see the whole picture. And so I may have him in my ear telling me, this is what's going on. This is where I see fire at. This is where I see smoke at. This is what I need you guys to go do. Good
0: morning. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. First time I saw the video, I thought, well, that's kind of a duh video. Of course you need to know what's accurate. So I almost pulled it and got on the guy. So you got to do something more significant than that. And then it hit me. We, we've got to be reminded of the of, importance of accuracy, the importance of good information. I mean, he described a fire as organized chaos. Does it not feel like our world? And in the midst of a world that is organized chaos, it is imperative that you and I know what is true, what is accurate, because we're going to make our choices. We're going to make decisions, we're going to live our lives based upon what we believe is true, what we believe is accurate, whether what we believe is true or not. This past Monday, I um, received a notice that a house in my neighborhood was on fire and that there was a mandatory evacuation of my neighborhood. So I dropped everything that I was doing, left, and was headed towards my house, which is not a, a great distance from the North Campus. And while I was going, I was doing the assessment in your mind. You know, they, they give you the test that all the time when your house is on fire, what are you going to take and what are you going to leave? I had not done that ahead of time because I never thought my house would be on fire. And so I'm going through that mental checklist, what is um, of utmost importance, what's the a replaceable, what's irreplaceable, and I had a list. I was like, I'm gonna go into this room, I'm gonna grab this, I'm gonna go to this room, grab this. And I was thinking through all stuff, do I have it all? And then it hit me. Well, I need to put my wife on the list, right? <laughs> I thought that was important. I at least need to be able to say, Yeah, you were on the list. And so I put her at the top of the list, did a few other things, and got right into the neighborhood when I discovered that all my neighbors were out in the front yard talking. Not one of them was getting boxes done. One of them were loading cars or anything like that. There were fire trucks and all that going on. What I found out was a house in our neighborhood was not on fire. A transformer had exploded and lit the field to immediate south of our neighborhood on fire. And it looked like houses were on fire, but it was actually the field behind us that was uh, on fire. And our first responders got to it quickly. They had accurate information, so they had the right trucks there, because you fight a grass fire with different trucks and you do a house fire. So they made sure the brush trucks were there, they were doing their thing, all of that. And we were really blessed. Man, I've been so thankful to God for this, that on Monday the wind was blowing from the west, Had it been blowing from the south, it would have blown that fire immediately into our neighborhood, but it blew it parallel to our neighborhood and, um, in essence, probably saved several structures in the process of doing that. See, that day, I was thankful the information I had received was inaccurate. See, there is a reality that we live in, and we know we live in a world of information, But the truth is that world of information is also at the same time a world of disinformation. More than ever, primarily because of the internet, because of social media, you can get information out really, really fast. I remember when I was a young'un, we would talk about how fast information would travel via the grapevine. Y'all remember the grapevine idea? It was basically gossip. But how fast things would move gossip. I'm just telling you, the Grapevine of yesteryear is like a snail racing a cheetah compared to today and how fast information can get out. Information, both accurate and inaccurate, moves through our society at a staggering pace. And here's the struggle. It's difficult to know what's true. It's difficult to know what's accurate. It's difficult to know how we're gonna live our life, and this is so important because we live based upon that which we believe is accurate and is true, whether it is or it isn't. And I understand that's not always a big deal. Wasn't a big deal that I left work, went to my neighborhood with the thought of what I'm gonna get for fire and stuff like that to find out that that information was inaccurate. However, far more often, having accurate information, if I may, Knowing what is true is the difference between success and failure in life. It is literally the difference between defeat and victory. So it shouldn't shock us that when God chose to reveal Himself to us, who he is and his ways to us, this book called the Bible, which is more than a book, it is the word of God, when he chose to reveal himself to us over and over again, he talks about the importance of that which is True. We could look at lots of passages, but I want us to look at one. If you don't mind, grab your Bible. The one you brought with you, if you don't have one with you at our South and North campuses, there are black ones underneath the chair in front of you on the floor, underneath your chair in the risers. A Bible you are welcome to take as a gift if you don't own one. We're on page 979 on those black Bibles, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and to our online family. Man, we love having you. If you're part of our online campus, there's actually a book icon. It's a Bible. You can click on in and turn to Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna start in the 10th verse. The Apostle Paul is talking to not just first century followers of Jesus, but talking to us today about how we are to live our lives in light of the reality of the work of Jesus. The first three chapters of Ephesians about the grandness of the work of Jesus. Then he starts talking about the practical implications. And he says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Say armor. Get your image in your mind, because he's going to give us a picture of what that means. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but that doesn't mean we don't wrestle. It doesn't mean we don't fight. It's just not ultimately against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The world we live in is not the way God designed the world. It's like the world was created And when this thing called sin entered into the equation, it lit the world on fire. It's like we live in a world on fire. There's a war happening. It's not a war that we can see. There is a real aspect of reality is unseen. There's an unseen spiritual world, and there is a war happening there, but it affects the physical world. We talked about this at length last week. The totality of this passage, starting in verse 10, ending in verse 19, about nine verses, Paul gives seven commands. Seven imperatives in the midst of nine verses, but all the commands basically say the same thing. They say, be strong in the Lord, now. Put on the full armor of God, right now. Stand firm, now, why? Our life, listen to me. Our faith depends on our strength in the Lord. And then what Paul does, is he gives the image of a Roman soldier. See, you gotta realize that they didn't have firefighters in that day. We don't have soldiers really marching around. We really don't see soldiers all the time. We see guys in uniform because of our wonderful Air Force base. But we don't see soldiers like they had, but in Ephesus, all around them, they would have had soldiers who were fully equipped for battle. It would be like a firefighter who gets fully equipped because they know the inevitability of the fight. In the same way, there are Roman soldiers who are are ready for a fight in Ephesus. They are ready to battle. And Paul is saying to you and I, because of the reality of the enemy, Because of the inevitability of battle, we must be as ready as soldiers who are equipped for fighting. And it's interesting the place he starts. Verse 14, after he says, put on the whole armor of God, he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now most of us in here understand the importance of a belt. I understand that for some people, belts have decorative value. I understand that if you are an older male, it is a place that you can clip your phone on. Come on, you know I'm telling the truth there, right? I'm just telling you this. For me, a belt is more than that. If I didn't have a belt on, what would happen is one of two things. Either um, I would be pulling on my breeches all the time trying to get them up to the right spot, or they would start making a downward descent towards my knees and ankle, and I would be sagging. And let's be honest, not a one of you want to see Pastor David sagging this morning. You know what God's people said? Amen. Amen. It's going to be the most positive response I get all day right there. For a Roman soldier, a belt was more than just trying to keep the pants up. It was actually central to the totality of their armor. You can see here that the belt was central. Everything in their armor actually connected to the belt. It provided, I'm not trying to be crass here, it provided a measure of protection for an area that is a little bit more sensitive to men, and all the men understand that. Both swords, different weapons used for different kinds of battles, are where? Where? They're connected. And notice this, there's a breastplate we're going to talk about next week, but the breastplate actually comes down and is held in place by the belt so that there's not a point of vulnerability to attack um, during a season like that. And in the winter, Roman soldiers didn't have the the short dress, the skirt-looking things. They didn't call them skirts back then. They actually had long ones that went down, and that was for warmth. But when it was time to battle, you know what they would do? They would actually take those, pick them up, and they would tuck them into their belts. So an older version of the Bible, some of you might have one, says stand firm then, having girded your loins with truth. To gird your loins was to tuck your robe up into your belt so that you would be free, free to run, free to move around, if I may, free to battle. And it all centers on one word, what? What? Truth, do you get the image? The belt of truth tells us something loud and clear. Truth is central for victory in life. If you and I want to walk in the victory of Jesus, it's going to be founded upon the idea of finding the truth of Jesus and walking in the truth of Jesus. Jesus himself said something similar. He once described himself with these words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now if you've been around the church world much at all, you've heard this verse. We talk about it all the time. Believe it or not, this verse, John 14, 6, is actually one of the most controversial verses in the Bible for the totality of our society. I talked about it at length last year, left you a link to that message in the notes if you want to listen to it. But even if this is the first time you've heard this verse, let's be honest right here. This is really kind of an odd way to describe oneself, is it not? It's strange to stand up and say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Either it's immensely arrogant to the point of lunacy, or it's hugely significant. You see, these words, way, truth, and life, really describe the totality of human desire. See, there's people in our culture today that are saying, man, I'm just struggling, I need to find the way. I need to find myself. When we say we want to find ourselves, what are we saying? Well, I want to find the way to happiness. People are saying all the time, I just want to be happy in life, which is their way of saying, I want life, and I want it abundantly. People are saying in various kinds of ways, through various words, I want true life, I want full life, I want satisfying life, I want abundant life. And according to Jesus, there is a way that leads to life, and it is through him because he is the truth not many hours after making this declaration. We're talking probably less than a day. Jesus stood before a Roman governor by the name of Pilate. He was in a trial, so to speak, and he said to Pilate, for this reason I was born, for this reason I came to the world. So Jesus said several times the reasons he came, and he said one of the reasons he came was to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me to which Pilate responded with a question. And it's not just a question he asked. I would challenge you as the question being asked daily in our culture. What is truth? I want you to listen to me. The battle happening in our culture right now is not a moral battle. I know some of you are already crafting your email in your brain to me about what's going on in our society. I'm not saying there aren't moral issues going on in our society. I'm saying that is not the foundation of the battle. The moral issues being faced by our society are symptoms of the problem, not the problem. The reality of the battle, three words. What is truth? In our own lives, the foundation of every battle we have against the enemy comes down to that one question What is truth? So, like 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, we walk in forgiveness, Paul said, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So this is Paul making a declaration that we've embraced the truth. That truth is we are to be a people who walk in forgiveness. When people bring harm to us, we forgive. We don't hold on to bitterness. We don't hold on to resentment. We know the truth. The truth is that bitterness destroys. Resentment doesn't do anything against anyone else. It actually destroys us. But one of the most common ways the enemy attacks, believe it or not, is in unforgiveness. He says we walk in forgiveness so the enemy might not win in our battle, for we are not unaware of his... Schemes, do you remember back in verse 11 when we read the words, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, hear me, we know how the devil works. His strategy is apparent to us, we know his schemes and I can give you four words that describe the strategy of the enemy every time. You ready? Write down desire, deception, disobedience, death. Death. Some of you are looking for blanks right now. There's no blanks. You're gonna have to get radical and go into the margins of your notes, okay? Desire, deception, disobedience, death. Now, even as you write down the word desire, you're thinking, well, desires must be evil. Hear me, I am not saying that desires are evil at all. In fact, I will tell you, every desire we have is a God-given desire. God created us with desire. Think about it. Every promise of the Bible appeals to a desire inside of us. So Jesus, in my opinion, preached the greatest recorded sermon ever preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some of you are familiar with it. In your mind right now, can you think of the first word that Jesus said in that sermon? It's his introduction, it's how he's getting people's attention. Jesus is in front of a crowd of people in what most scholars believe is a natural amphitheater in the northern, I'm sorry, in the western part of the Sea of Galilee. He's looking up at these crowds of people that he can talk in a normal voice and it's naturally amplified. And the first word out of his mouth, the thing that he wants people to know, the reason he came, he said, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then, seven more times for a total of eight, he says, Blessed are you when? Blessed are you when? Blessed are you when you live this way and you are this kind of person. Question Why would Jesus tell us how to be blessed if we were not to desire to be blessed? Simple. We're supposed to desire to be blessed. I absolutely want to be blessed desires in and of themselves are not evil. We were all created with desires. You're not gonna get rid of them. Every one of us has a desire to be loved. Every one of us has a desire for significance. All of us wants to know our identity and who we are, and all of us desire to feel secure in life. God made us that way. Hebrews 11:6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. I mean, come on. We all wanna have a God-pleasing faith, Right? At some level, you would not be present. You wouldn't be in our South or North Campus. You wouldn't be engaging online. If at some level you didn't say, yeah, I want to please God. I want to have the kind of faith that pleases God. Here's my question. What does God-pleasing faith look like? In your mind right now, little test. What do you think, man, if I had to define God-pleasing faith, what would it look like? Got your answer? I promise you it's probably not what's in the rest of this verse. Unless you have Hebrews 11, 6 memorized, most of us do not think of God-pleasing faith in the way this verse says. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to him who has God-pleasing faith must believe that he exists, if I may, that he is who he says he is, and that he rewards. I bet none of us thought that the essence of God-pleasing faith is that God rewards but he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. The verse is clear. If you want to have a faith pleasing to God, you must believe that God is who he says he is, that he is true to himself, and that he rewards, that he and he alone will ultimately meet the deepest desires of our hearts and lives, desires that he created us to have. The battle in our life is not about having desires or not having desires. The battle is this, how are we going to seek to have those desires met in our lives? The battle is who are we going to trust to meet the desires of our lives? You see, the scripture teaches us that Satan was an angel. His name was Lucifer, which means the son of the morning or shining one. Some believe he was the highest ranking of all angels. But somewhere along the way, pride entered into Satan and he wanted the glory that belonged to God only. So he talked, somehow, he arranged a coup of a third of the angelic host, and they rebelled against God hoping to overtake the throne of God. They were defeated and according to scripture, they were cast into a lower heavenlies. The Bible reveals to us that there are actually three levels of heaven. Or the heavenlies, we'll have to talk about that at a later time. But hear me, the devil was cast down as a defeated foe. Listen, he is defeated. Say defeated. But it doesn't mean the war is over. And we're going, what? Think in your mind a little bit of history. Don't fall asleep because I said the word history. Think back to World War II. There's a day we celebrate, June 6th of every year. We call it D-Day. D-Day is the day the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy and eventually won. Why do we call it D-Day? It was the decisive day. It was the day of defeat. It was the day history tells us that we beat Hitler. The Allied forces defeated Hitler on D-Day. But hear me, the war wasn't over for another year. The war didn't finish until V-Day the day of victory, which happened again about a year later when the Allied forces rode, in, <clears throat> rode into Berlin. The enemy was defeated, but the war was not yet over. Our enemy has been defeated. <coughs> Listen to me. Your enemy has been defeated. Are you getting it? I'm going to say it again. Your enemy is defeated. I don't think you're getting it. Your enemy is defeated. Jesus came. He lived like we were supposed to live, but He was without sin and his sinless self was placed upon the cross as a sacrifice, as a punishment for our sins. And then the Bible says he died like we are supposed to die, and I think he descended into hell just like those outside of Christ would descend into hell. And there he battled, the ultimate battle. For three days, he battled death, hell, and the grave. And he rose up on the third day, and the scripture says he holds now the keys to death and Hades. And he says they no longer have the power they once had because I am the victorious one. And now when you accept me in your life, There's a D-Day in your life. Every time that we say yes to Jesus Christ, it's D-Day. My D-Day was January 15th, 1980. I know the day. The decisive blow was given to the enemy in my life, and he was defeated. But V-Day, you know when that comes? One day the sky's going to cut. Can you begin to even imagine it? It's like the sky is going to roll like a book, a scroll. It's going to part. And it says, with the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel, the whole world is going to see his reality. And here comes Jesus on the great white horse, on his thigh, king of kings, Lord of lords. All my tatted people love that verse, man. All my parents of tatted kids, they don't like that verse at all. And he's going to come back and finish what he'd begun. But until V-Day, there is still a real war going on. Don't mistake it. Casualties still happen. Faith is battled against. That's why Paul is so strong. When he's talking about the greatness of what Jesus does and the practical implication of life, he says, finally, Make sure of all things that you are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's a war still going on. The enemy is still seeking to take glory from God. And you say, how's he wanting to take glory from God? Real simple, he does it by deception. He does this by deceiving us into believing that God not, is not is who he is and that he will not beat the deep desires of our hearts. Every time we choose something contrary to the ways of God, we are give, failing to give glory to God and we're giving glory to the enemy. I know we don't like to think about it in those terms, but that's the reality of what we're doing. It goes all the way back from the beginning. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild wild animals God had placed in the garden. That's the enemy. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really say to you? You must not eat from any trees in the garden. Now, remember, this is before sin entered the equation. This poor mankind is marred by sin, has a propensity to sin, but they still had desires. The woman said to the serpent, yeah, we may eat from the trees that are in the garden, but from the tree, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. What's the implication? If you do it God's way, your eyes aren't opened. But when you do eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. And there is the desire right there. The enemy deceived, even in the garden, even at the place of desire. They wanted to be like God. Hear me, some of you think, well, we shouldn't want to be like God. No, no, no. Every aspect of your being should want to be like God. I was created in the image of the Almighty. I was made in his likeness. Every part of me wants to become like him because that's my destiny. That's where I'll find my ultimate fullness. I want to be like him. That is the desire. The temptation was not in the desire, but it was in the lie about God. Deception, listen to me. It's like God was saying for a second. I'll get to that. The deception, God is a liar, and he's holding out on you. If you trust him, if you trust his ways, you won't have everything you desire. You can't trust God, the enemy said. You can't do things his way. And it led to what? Disobedience. Deception leads to disobedience because we act upon that which we believe is true, even if what we believe to be true is false. And you know what disobedience leads to? It leads to death. Death. Now, listen to me. Scripture doesn't mean, in Scripture, death doesn't mean that it's just that our bodies cease to breathe or cease to exist. It's not that we quit breathing, our heart quits beating, and stuff like that. Death is ultimately to miss out on the goodness of God at any level, to have our fellowship with God interrupted. Do you know that you can be in relationship with God but not be as in close a fellowship with God as you can be? That's what sin does. We'll talk about it next week. But sin disrupts our fellowship with God. Many of us are saying, man, God feels so far away from me. But maybe it's because we're not walking in a place of truth. And we're tasting of things of death. We can be in relationship with him. We can be his child. I mean, come on. You've been in relationships where you love each other, but you don't really like each other at that moment, right? Yeah, don't look at me all spiritual like you have no idea what I'm talking about. I had kids that I loved all the time. I tell them, man, I love you. I don't like you right now. And we're going to have to get to a place where I like you or there's going to be some big problems in your life, right? And we have that in marriages. We have it in everything. It's the taste of death. Death is ultimately separation from God for all of eternity. It happens when we're not in Jesus Christ. That is the strategy of the enemy. He sees our desires given to us by God. He wants to deceive us in our place of desire What is true? Will God really do what he says he'll do? Will he be who he says he'll be in your life? If we believe the deception, it goes to disobedience. The disobedience leads to death. That's the strategy of the enemy, but the central piece is what? Deception. It's why Jesus said of the enemy, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So is it any wonder that the first thing we're told to do, if we want to stand firm in the Lord, listen to me, if you want victory in your life, if you want to put on the whole armor of God, you want to be able to stand strong when the day of evil rises. And the first thing we have to do is we have to found ourselves in truth. We have to put on truth. Truth, putting on the truth of God daily in our lives is central for victory in life. And we put on truth in two ways that we're gonna have to talk about next week you to have to come back and be a part of it. But I'll hint at it today. You ready? First, to put on truth, you have to know truth. Real simple. We must know the truth about God, who God is, and we have to know about his ways. And you can put another word in the margin there. Just put the word time there. It takes time. The truth is found in Scripture. The Bible isn't a rule book. The Bible is a revelation of the reality of who God is. It's about his heart for us, and it does reveal his ways to us that lead to life abundant. And guys, at some point, we're just going to have to prioritize knowing truth. And I'm just telling you, of all the things the enemy's doing these days, he is trying to distract us from knowing truth. You, you know what I'm talking about, because some of you have had those great New Year's resolutions, and I'm going to read the Bible through in a year, great resolution, by the way. And then you find out when you open the Bible, all of a sudden your mind runs like 150 directions. You read like five verses and you say, I have no idea what I read. You go back and you read it again. It's like my mind scattered a hundred different ways. almost as if somebody is fighting against you to know what is true. And we got to be a people who lay hold of reality and say, absolutely, every time I open the book, God's going to try to distract me. I'm I'm sorry, the enemy's going to try to distract me. God's going to try to bring you into it. I was just making sure you're listening. Some of us need to get up in the morning. You need to have your Bible. And before you open your Bible, you need to stick your hand on your head. And you need to say, in Jesus' name, I have the mind of Christ. I have the ability to understand everything in the Scripture because of me, not because I'm so smart, because the spirit of God resides in me, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I release the spirit of wisdom and revelation that he might enlighten me to the truth of God's word. And I bind the distracting forces of the devil in Jesus' name. I silence his voice in my life. And you open it up. And you read. And you meditate. And you study. Do what it takes. Listen to me. We've got to do what it takes to know the truth. And some of the things the enemy's doing, he's just seeking to distract us time-wise. Man, my generation, TV. Man, we watch the TV. Kind of the new generation, not just social media, TikTok. I did not experiment this weekend. I got a TikTok account. I know. I'm not on TikTok. I wanted to see what it was, and I started watching it. These little, I don't know, 30 seconds to two minute clips or something. And I started watching and I was mesmerized. And then, like, 50 minutes later, I woke up. I'm not kidding you. It's like this thing's addictive. I watched and I watched and I watched and I giggled and I laughed. I went, oh my, and I flipped, flipped, flipped and did all this stuff. And it's like literally, I was mesmerized and lost a sense of time. And it was like 50 minutes. And I was like, when's the end of this thing? And I asked somebody, when does it end? They say, it never ends. It goes on forever. There's just video after video after video after video. And then I thought back on all the things I had watched. And there was a lie. 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 But in the moment, I wasn't even thinking about it. It was creative. It was funny. i give you a little clue. Be careful what you laugh at. What you laugh at today is what you'll believe tomorrow. Many of the deceptions of the enemy start with humor. It's disarming. We wanna be happy, we wanna be joyful, it's okay. Just listen to what you laugh at. Am I telling you TikTok is ultimately evil? I I don't know, I've been on it long enough to know. Probably like anything of media, there's good and bad, there's truth and true and false. I can tell you this, my biggest concern about TikTok is not that China gets your information. I'm pretty convinced they got it already anyway, but that's another message. (laughs) My concern is the distraction, and we don't know what's true. And then the day of evil hits the day when the intensity of the attack of the enemy comes into our lives, and we don't have truth. And then you try to put on the armor, and it just falls off because you got nothing central. We got to be a people of the truth. To put on the truth, we have to know the truth. To put on the truth, we have to obey the truth. Some truth will not be understood till you obey it. We're going to talk about that next week. Just listen to me. Truth is central for victory in life. Truth is central. The battle for our nation is not a moral battle. Morality or the lack thereof is a symptom of the real issue. The real battle, what is True. Who determines truth? And from this comes everything else in our lives. The battle for us is what we believe is true. It'll ultimately come down to that because we will live our lives, we will make our choices based upon what we ultimately be is true. Truth is foundational if we want to be strong in the Lord. Truth is foundational if we want to win the victorious, if we want to win the battle on the inevitable day of evil. And it's going to come to our lives and in the lives of others. We've got to be people who know truth and live truth. We'll unpack it a little bit more next week. But hear the word of Scripture. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So I invite you, each and every one, bow your heads for a moment. We're going to pray. And after I pray at both of our campuses, we are going to engage in worship. And I just want to tell you right now, if you want to know truth, one of the best ways you can know truth is worship. God made music to get into your spirit. We, we know it. We remember stuff. Guys, I can remember the theme song to Gilligan's Island from 45 years ago. I'm not going to sing it for you. Music sticks in us. It's meant to put stuff in us. It's great. There's stuff I don't want to remember. I can still remember the words to Highway to Hell by ACDC. I've asked God to purge it from my spirit because I despise the song. It's counter to everything of the Almighty. But I was naive when I was young and I minimized the importance of music in my life. We worship together, not just to go through some motions. is because God is worthy of our glory, but it is also a declaration through a tool that God created in humanity to get truth inside of us. So I implore you, North and South Campus, don't just go through the motions of worship, engage. I I challenge you, listen to what you're saying. Listen to what you're seeing, seeing and let it sink into you. As you see those words, declare them with everything that you have. And let that truth get deeper and deeper in you. If you are online, I'm gonna tell you, worship is the hardest facet of an online campus. And so, if you're gonna worship, I tell you, if you got a sound system, turn it up, stand up, engage, make the best you can. It's probably not the same as being in person, my opinion. But you need worship, and so I want you to worship. But before we do that, I just want you to ask the Lord one question. What needs to adjust in your life so that you can be a person who grows in truth? It's time. All of us have time. We have 24 hours in a day, each and every one of us. And I think many of us are distracted. The word the Lord gave me is that many of us need to fast from something that is taking so much time. It could be TikTok or some other form of social media. You could be an old timer that just needs to turn off the TV. Some of us, it's novels, it could be sports be a hobby. I don't know what it is. Some of us may need to take a fast. We may need to be 30 days, 7 days, 21 days from this. Not so that we never engage it again, but it has its right place. Anytime something starts to get an inappropriate place in your life, you need to fast from it and let the Lord reset a priority. So you engage. Maybe the Lord's showing you that right now. Maybe the Lord's just showing you you need less of this. What is the Lord showing you? Ask him right now, Lord, what needs to adjust in my life so I have time for truth? And then ask him the ways that you need to engage it. Some of us need to read, we need to study, we need to memorize, some of us need to join a group, because in our groups, when we start in the fall, we, we just talk about truth and how to apply it to our lives. And we need to spend that time doing that. Some of us need to make some adjustments in our family schedules. It's not that the things we're doing are bad, they're just distracting from what's most important. And I'm telling you, what is central is we gotta know truth so we can live truth, walk in truth. It's gotta be a priority for our families for our kids, our grandkids. Do you have what the Lord's giving you? So I say yes to it. Just say yes, Lord. Even if you're not sure, if it's leading you to engaging truth more, let's just assume it's God. Father, we submit this thing called time to you. And we want some of our time to be given to knowing what is true. Some of us are on a journey that we don't know yet, whether we engage, believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, that's okay. I pray there'd be some time invested in knowing whether that's accurate or not. Maybe some of the most important time we can invest, oh God, is just knowing whether what you say is true or not. But for those of us who are your followers, I confess I've been distracted by some things. Not evil things, just things that are keeping me away from more important, away from your word. Away from seeking you in my own private places. And I I don't want to be there, Lord. None of us do. So I'm just asking that you would adjust. Just show us right now an adjustment. The adjustments we need to make. And give us courage to say yes to that and grace to live them out. And now, Father, in both of our north and our south campus, our online family, we're going to engage in a time of giving honor to you in song. But we ask for a gift. While we honor you With the words of our songs, we praise you. We pray for the gift that truth would push deep into our spirit through these songs and be something we call up on the day of evil. We are your people, O God, and we love you. And we say we want to have a God-pleasing faith. We want to believe you are who you say you are. You are a good father. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And you will meet the deep desires of our heart as we earnestly seek after you. So we commit ourselves to seek you and to seek your face this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. North and South Campus, let's stand. I'm sorry. Online Campus, South Campus, North Campus just went away right there. So they're going to be doing their own things. You ready to give some worship to God? Let's give praise to his name. Come on.